Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you're using the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 534. Today is the fourth message in our summer series entitled Red Letters, The Teachings of Jesus. In most Bibles, Jesus' teachings, you'll find them in the New Testament, standing out in red letters. His teachings are life-transforming. They transcend time and cultures. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And in our text, we find them in the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Jesus just finished his teaching on marriage, and some of the local people began to approach Jesus with their children, seeking to bring them um, to, to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. Follow along as I read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Other translations used the word indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for this beautiful service, this beautiful time of worship, your presence. Thank you for providing a, a way for us and your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come before you and to offer our worship, our songs, our prayers, our giving of thanks. Father, we thank you for the beauty and power of your word, for the Holy Spirit that you have sent, who's our teacher, our comforter, the one who fills us, comes upon us, and walks alongside of us. I pray through the power of your by the power of the Spirit here this morning, that you would open hearts and minds to hear your word, to embrace your word, and to be transformed by the power of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This same story is included in the Gospel of Matthew and in Matthew chapter 19 and in the Gospel of Luke and in in Luke chapter 18. In each Gospel, the, the story is almost exactly the same. The story begins with some parents bringing their children to Jesus. Bringing their children to Jesus. They wanted him to place his hands upon them, bless them, and pray for them. But the disciples attempt to turn the parents away. And we see in the reading of today's text, this angered Jesus. Jesus tells these parents to bring their children to him. He invites the parents as they were walking away. He invites them to bring their children to him. Anytime we find a story repeated in the Bible, there's something very important God is saying to us. In fact, every word in this book is God breathed, inspired, infallible, and is critically, critically important. But every time, every time, 
we find a story repeated in the Bible. There's something very important God is saying to us. He doesn't want us to miss the point, the spiritual truth. And as parents, how many parents do we have here today? Lots of parents. As parents, we want the best for our children. We want to provide them with all kinds of opportunities, whether it's playing sports, taking lessons to play a a musical instrument, dance lessons. We want to provide the best education that we possibly can for them. We want to provide them the best vacation experiences. We want nothing but the very best for our children as parents. That's just natural. We want nothing but the best. But the very best thing we can do as parents for our children is to bring them to Jesus. There's nothing that compares. What can be better than Jesus' touch? Being held in his arms and, and him blessing your children. Today's text says, then they brought little children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. Verse 16 says, and he took them up in in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. Notice in our text, we don't see the children coming to Jesus on their own. They need their parents' help. This is a critical observation. I'm so grateful and thankful that my parents brought me to Jesus. I'm so grateful I remember that night, it was a Wednesday night, that I was brought to Jesus. And he touched my heart deeply that night in such a profound way. As a child and a teen, I I remember singing the, the old chorus in church, he touched me. How many remembers that chorus? He touched me. Oh, he touched me, and all the joy that floods my soul, something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, and the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same since I met this blessed Savior. Since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. Oh, he touched me. Thanks, Dad and Mom for bringing me to Jesus. Thank you, thank you, I'm so grateful. A special shout out to my in-laws for bringing my wife to Jesus. Thank you so much, thank you. Tina and I have provided lots of of different opportunities for our kids, but the best thing and the most rewarding thing we have ever done for our children is when we brought them to Jesus. Our son, Manny, and our daughter-in-law, Shannon, today publicly committed to bringing their daughter, Stella, to Jesus. There's not a greater commitment outside of your commitment to follow Christ, to bring your daughter to Jesus. How precious. She was just smiling there, so happy. Thank you, Jim and Sharon. Thank you, Jim and Sharon, for bringing... Shannon, to Jesus, thank you so much for bringing your son Ben to Jesus. Thank you. And we're so glad Jesus brought Shannon to us and to our son Manny. 
Parents, the most important thing we can ever do for our children is, is to bring them to Jesus. It's more important than crossing off the next thing on our bucket list. In the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish writings that instruct in Jewish law and tradition, it's a Hebrew word that means learning, instruction, instructs parents, especially fathers, to bring their children to a rabbi, a teacher of God's law, God's word. That rabbi would pray three things. The first thing that the rabbi would pray or, or the elder of the synagogue would pray is that the child would be famous in the law. In other words, that the child would know the law of God, which consisted of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And second, the rabbi would pray that they would be faithful in marriage, that they would have a good marriage. Parents, it's never too early to begin praying for your children's spouse. Grandparents, pray for your, your, your grandchildren's future spouse. It's never too early to begin to pray. Tina and I have prayed and continue to pray. The Lord answered our prayer for our oldest son when he blessed us with Shannon. We prayed that God would provide Manny with a wife who loves Jesus more than anything, loves serving the Lord, would love her husband and others, who would love her family. And God answered our prayers. God is a God who answers prayers. Amen. We continue to pray for Kaylin's future spouse and for Patrick and Matthew's future spouses. It's never too early to begin praying. And the third thing that the rabbi, the teacher or elder of the synagogue would pray is that they would be known for their good works. They would be known for their good works. This reminds me as I was studying of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he taught the multitude saying in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the rabbi would have prayed that the child would be known as someone who doesn't just know the law, know the word, but as someone who was living the law, who was living the word of God. He prayed that there would be an integrity about them, not saying one thing and doing another. You see, when we do that, there's a lack of integrity. There's a loss of integrity. They would say it and live it. He prayed that they would be Genuine in their faith. Now in Matthew's version of this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, he says, just to give you a, a full picture, he says, parents were bringing children to Jesus so that he might lay hands on them and pray for them. And this is consistent with this kind of blessing that we would see the, the rabbi, the teacher, the elder of the synagogue pray. It was common for parents to bring their children to the synagogue and to seek the blessing of a rabbi, an elder for their children. And it makes sense that many would seek the blessing of Jesus for their children. Jesus had developed a reputation of being this incredible teacher, rabbi, like no other. Multitudes would follow and gather to listen to this rabbi, to listen to Jesus, this masterful teacher, expound on truths pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so it's no wonder. It makes sense that many would seek the blessing of Jesus for their children, a teacher like no other. Many of them saw 
miracles that he performed. Some heard about these miracles. Who is this man named Jesus? It makes sense that they would want to seek him out and bring their children. He might bless them. Church, every parent here today, there's nothing greater than bringing our kids to Jesus. Nothing greater, nothing more lasting, nothing more rewarding. And so it begs us to ask the question here today, how do we bring our children to Jesus? I have two practical things that we can do. This is not an exhaustive list. There's two things, practical things that we can do. Very important, by the way. I would say the most important. Number one, make Jesus the priority, not a priority. If you're taking notes, write the word the, the, T-H-E. Make Jesus the priority, not a priority. There's a big difference. This is so critical that Jesus is the object of our affection and that we're cultivating that affection in the hearts of our kids, in the hearts, grandparents, of our grandkids. There's nothing more important than Jesus and his church. Amen? Nothing. Model serving Jesus, model serving Jesus and others in the church community. Having a good education is nice to have, but it's not the priority that God calls us to. Having athletic ability and developing that ability is nice to have. We have that ability because God has chosen to give us that ability, but it's not the priority. In fact, I've always shared with our sons, with our daughter, the gifts and abilities that God has given you, that God has granted you. He wants to use them to to further his kingdom. He wants to receive glory in your athletic ability. He wants to be glorified. He wants the gospel to be made known through the abilities that he's graced you with. It's not about you and how well you play the sport, how many wins, how many losses. It's all about Jesus. Can I hear a big amen? Do you believe that, church? We need to cultivate this in the hearts and minds and lives of our children and in our grandchildren. I'm a grandfather. Jim, we're grandfathers. Amen. Number two, teach them the word of God. As much as I'm so thankful for our children and youth ministries here at Greece Assembly, they're not a replacement. They support and partner with you as parents. The best place for kids to learn the word of God is at home from dad and mom. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I I read just moments ago during the dedication from verses 5 through 9. Fathers, parents are commanded. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Boy, that really strikes me. (laughs) Shall be in your heart. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That just really cuts me deep. You cannot teach or impart or model what is not in your heart. The words of Christ, if they're not in your heart, you can't impart them to your children, 
to your grandchildren. You can't impart something that you have not received, that you have not embraced, that you have not made your own. Boy, doesn't that cut you? I read that the other day, and boy, I just, you know, the word of God, it's like a sword. Isn't that what the Bible says? Didn't Paul say that to the church in, 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 in Ephesians or Hebrews, somewhere in the Bible? It's a sharper than any two-edged sword, and boy, do you ever feel that sword going through? It's a good cut. You know, every time the word of God cuts us, the same word that cuts us is the same word that heals us and makes us more like Jesus. Isn't that glorious? It's okay to get excited in church. We get excited at ball games. One day we're going to be worshiping our Savior around his glorious throne with every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we're going to sing holy, holy, holy. On this side of heaven, it's just the warm-up act. We're just getting ready. Amen? He goes on, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gaze. Mom, dad, dad, mom. This was a word to dads. But it doesn't exclude the mother either. This is a command to parents. We're to be saturated in this book. We are to embrace every word of this book. Amen? We are to make every word of this book our own. Our lives are formed and shaped where we begin to look more and more and more like this book. The word that became flesh and lived among us, and that word is Jesus Christ. Are we becoming more and more like him? Are we thinking more like him? Are we acting more like him? Are we treating others more like him? Are we bringing our children to him? Let your kids see you read the word of God. Let them hear you talk about the Holy Scripture and and let them hear you pray. Let them see you share your faith. For many people and even many commentators, today's main scripture text is a passage that is so often overlooked. It's something to quickly read through and move on. It doesn't seem to carry much importance, but quite the contrary. I think it's one of the most important passages in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What we see here is the Lord blessing these little children. And please know, God never pronounced a blessing on any person who didn't belong to his kingdom. We don't want to miss this very important observation. Anyone outside of the kingdom of God is not blessed of God. Now this runs in the face of Judaism that dominated the land of Israel at the time because the Jews were convinced that you earned your way to heaven by good works, by keeping the law perfectly. Impossible. Impossible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one here can claim moral perfection. And if you do, you're not because you just lied. You can understand why part of the rabbi's prayer over their children included being known for their good works. 
But babies, children, couldn't earn their salvation by good works. It's believed, based on the Greek word used for children in these stories, in, in, in the three Gospels, that these children who were brought to Jesus were about zero to three or four years old. In fact, Luke, in his Gospel, actually uses the word infants, babies. These babies... These children couldn't do good work. Stella cannot do a good work. She doesn't even know what a good work is. She just knows what a good-looking mother and father is. And grandfathers and grandmothers. These children, these babies couldn't do good works. They didn't understand anything about good works. They didn't know the difference between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness. We have that responsibility as parents and as grandparents to train them up and to teach them the difference between righteousness and and unrighteousness and good and evil, truth and, and deception and what's not true, lies. I think it is against this backdrop that Jesus does something here that is absolutely shocking Not only to the crowd that is watching and the Pharisees who are in the crowd, the Pharisees who are in the crowd, but even shocking to the disciples who themselves have been raised in the Pharisees' legalistic system of works salvation. What Jesus does is in violation to the conventional wisdom of Judaism, in fact, to all religious systems of salvation based on good works. He identifies people as a part of his kingdom who couldn't do anything to earn it, to earn his kingdom, to gain it by good works. This becomes for us a powerful, powerful illustration that salvation is by grace and grace alone. The apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There may not be a more powerful illustration of salvation by grace than this. I'm so grateful for the grace of Almighty God. There's no amount of good works that I can ever do to earn entrance into the kingdom of God. It's by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. There's nothing more powerful, not a more powerful illustration of salvation by grace than possibly today's text. And at the same time, it is a strong rebuke of self-righteous legalism. I'm prone to think that the best illustration in the Gospels of salvation by grace is this one, because babies, children, are a vital part of the kingdom of God who have done absolutely nothing to earn it. They have a special place in God's kingdom simply because of God's grace and God's grace alone. Children are also an illustration of all those who are also part of the kingdom of God because unless you come like a little child, Jesus said in verse 15 of our main text, surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You know, we tell children to behave like adults. Come on, mom, dad. Have you ever said that? Come on, behave like an adult. We tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells adults to behave themselves after children, to model themselves after children. 
weak. Children are weak. Babies are weak. Luke uses the word infants. It means babies. Babies are weak. They're helpless. They're trusting. They're humble. Children are dependent, totally dependent. Children are willing followers. You know, last night, Tina and I um, watched Stella. Shannon and Manny were here with the young adults at this worship gathering, and it was such a, a beautiful worship night of worship for the young adults. And boy, it just blessed my heart to see pictures of, of young adults just worshiping Jesus. Wow. Young adults, 20-year-olds, here, spending their Saturday night worshiping Jesus. They're not at a ball. They're not at a nightclub. They're, they're here worshiping Jesus. Oh, so precious. Can we throw a picture up? Is that possible? Try to throw a picture up if we can. It blessed me to see these pictures. Church, we enter God's kingdom by faith like little children, helpless, unable to save ourselves, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God, our good, good Father. And Jesus says, Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. This is a shocking moment. This is a shocking moment. Babies, children, serve as a powerful illustration of those who enter the kingdom of God and receive its full blessing, the full blessing of the kingdom of God because they can do nothing to earn it. And by the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all follow up this instant, this, this story with the story of the rich young ruler. And Pastor Bob preached a powerful message last week on the rich young ruler. I encourage you to listen to that message online if you hadn't already. The story of the rich young ruler is the classic example of a self-righteous religious Jew who, though self-righteous and religious, had no place in God's kingdom. And this is a man who said, I have kept all the law since my youth. I have kept all the law since my youth. There was some pride, lots of pride in this rich young ruler's heart. We have to be careful. We can be just like this self-righteous, religious, rich young ruler. Pastor, I have perfect Sunday school attendance. Pastor, do you know how much I, I, I give to the church on a yearly basis? No, I, I don't know. I don't look at that. I've never looked at that. That's between you and God. Why do you want me to know? No one can enter the kingdom of God based on what they have done. No one. Children couldn't keep the law at all. This young rich ruler, he says, I have kept all the law since my youth. But Jesus said there's no place for him. His pride keeps him from Jesus. Children who couldn't keep the law at all 
They have a place in the kingdom of God, a special place at that. And no one can enter the kingdom of God based on what they have done, but only based on what Jesus has done on the cross. For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so in our text, parents are bringing babies to Jesus. Parents who saw his love and saw his power and saw his majesty and heard him preach and teach about the kingdom of God, about salvation and eternal life. And these parents care about the future of their children. How many parents here care about the future of their children? How many grandparents care about the future of your grandchildren? When we really care about the future of our children, when we really care about the future of our grandchildren, we're going to knock over every single obstacle. We're going to climb every mountain that we need to climb so we can get them to Jesus. Because nothing impacts their future more than Jesus. Bringing them to Jesus. Nothing you can give them. Nothing you can offer them. No experience you can provide them will impact them and change them. Like bringing them to Jesus. Wherever you have to go, whatever you have to do, whatever mountain you have to climb, you're going to climb because you want to bring them to Jesus. I was just looking to see if Alex, our maintenance, head of maintenance is here today. Sorry, Alex. I got a little carried away. These parents wanted their children to know God. They wanted their children to be a part of the kingdom of God. They wanted their children to have eternal life. This message is to mothers and dads to parents, to grandparents, to great-grandparents. It's a message to every single one of us because we all have a responsibility. In fact, I think everyone stood when I asked you to stand and receive your charge. You have a part in Stella's faith formation. We're in this together, church. We need each other. That's the beauty of the church, the body of Christ. And we're instructed in God's word not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some and so much more as the day of the Lord approaches. And new studies, new stats that are coming out through George Bonner reveal that the average Christ-following family attends church, the community like this, like a worship gathering, um, 1.7 times per month. Per month. Hmm. These parents wanted Jesus to touch their children, to lay hands upon them and bless them. Now something happens in the story that upsets Jesus. The disciples hindered the parents from bringing their children to Jesus. And this really ticked Jesus off. The disciples were the ones who, who believe in Jesus. They are the ones who have left legalism and, 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 and Judaism, works of salvation behind, and they are the ones rebuking the parents. And Matthew 10, 14 says, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And the Greek word for rebuke is a very, very, very strong word. Literally, it means that they reprimanded them. They reprimanded. In other words, they let these parents have it. They gave them the business. What are you doing? And get these kids out of here. You know who this is? 
They were convinced that they were doing Jesus a favor and that this would be just an unnecessary, trivial interruption for Jesus, for Jesus' day. He had a lot to do. What are you doing bringing these kids to him? What are you doing bringing these babies to Jesus? As far as they were concerned, Jesus had more important things to do. But they were totally, totally wrong. Totally wrong. And Jesus responds in verse 14 by rebuking them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased, indignant, angry. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Notice he didn't rebuke the parents, not at all. Only the disciples were rebuked, and it was a a strong rebuke. Church, sometimes we need to be rebuked by Jesus. I didn't get too many amens by that. Luke in his gospel says, Jesus then called for the parents. Jesus then called for the parents who had already um, turned and were moving away. And he called for them to come back and bring their babies. He uses the word infants. Bring their babies to him. The coming of these babies, children, were very important to Jesus. So much so, not to do it made him angry. To, To prevent it from happening made him angry. Why? Look at the end of verse 14. For as such is the kingdom of God. For as such is the kingdom of God. Literally, the kingdom of God belongs to this category of people. For as such is the kingdom of God. Those who are helpless, unable to save themselves, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God. For as such is the kingdom of God. They have a place. They have a special place in the kingdom of God. They belong to the kingdom, and the kingdom of God belongs to them. Isn't that beautiful, church? You see, all religious systems of salvation based on good works weigh people down with guilt. They keep people from Jesus. These religious systems reject Christ and and suppress God's truth. Religion sees only the law. Jesus sees an opportunity for grace. Religion sees the sin. Jesus sees the sinner, the person made in his image that he wants to remake by his grace, what he did on the cross. Religion condemns. Jesus forgives and sets free. Religion is about fault-finding. Jesus is about soul finding. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Religion, tradition is sacred. Jesus, truth is sacred. Truth is sacred. And when we embrace not traditions of men, but the truth of God's word as sacred, life becomes sacred. Marriage becomes sacred. Mm -hmm. religion comes with a closed fist looking for a fight Jesus comes with an open hand looking for a friend and what a friend we have in Jesus this story leads me to ask several questions number one are we bringing people to Jesus are we bringing people to Jesus I'm so grateful that my parents brought me to Jesus. 
people who, who need God's grace. People who need a touch from Jesus. How many need a touch from Jesus? Do you know someone in your life that needs a touch from Jesus? You can bring them. So many places in the Gospels we see Jesus touching people, healing people. You know, the Pharisees would not touch people. They were afraid of being defiled. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He didn't come for those who were well. He came for those who needed a physician, who were spiritually sick. Pastor Dan talked about summer celebration on Sunday, August 13th. This is a great invite opportunity. It's a great Sunday to bring someone to Jesus. To bring someone to Jesus. The whole day, we're going to celebrate the grace of God. I'm going to preach a message from the parable of the lost coin. Everyone that comes that day, when you come into the sanctuary, you're going to receive something very special at the door that I pray will help you to never forget the truth of God's kingdom that's expounded in that parable. It's so powerful and life-changing. Number two, are we hindering people from coming to Jesus? These parents, or I should say these disciples, were were hindering parents. They were preventing parents from, from bringing their kids to Jesus. Are we hindering people from coming to Jesus? Do we have attitudes and actions that prevent people from coming to Jesus? Several years ago, I was preaching on a street corner down on East Ave. The gospel I had just done some preaching at the University of Rochester, and they asked me, this group asked me if I'd come. They had a permit. They were going to put on a a concert, and they wanted me to preach the gospel. And so I began to preach the gospel in this alley between Eastman Theater and this coffee shop. And when I got done preaching the gospel, this angry man came up to me, this angry young man who was out of prison not too long before, and he was, he was undressing me up and down with every word you can imagine. My wife was pulling on the back of my shirt, fearing for my life, literally. In fact, the student leaders of this ministry at the U of R were behind this guy and were saying, they were fearing for my life. But I sat there as he sprayed me with, with his spit, uh, as, he, as he just used every vowel, um, vulgar word he could think of. I don't believe in this Jesus. This Jesus that you, you talk about, this love that you, that you, that you claim to, to, to know and, and, and to preach here tonight. I don't believe in this God. I've met people like you. And he began to describe these people to me. And when he took a breath, I said to him, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's been your experience with Christians, with people who call themselves Christians. I says, I don't know those people, but what you've described to me, they don't sound like Christians to me. They don't represent the God that I know, the Jesus that saved me and walks with me. I am so so sorry and those words were prompted by the Holy Spirit of God it just shut him down and his whole demeanor began to change 
And I began to share with him scriptures from the Bible about a God who loves, who came to save. He said to me that night, he had never read the Bible. He agreed to read it from cover to cover. He said to me tonight, he goes, you're the first real Christian I think I've ever met. And I'm not sharing to draw, no, I was prompted by the Holy Spirit of God. I didn't know what he was going to do. I wasn't even planning on sharing that story today. But obviously he had some experiences that hindered him from coming to Jesus. He was pushed away. Are we hindering people from coming to Jesus? You've been walking with Jesus for years. You're, are you pushing people away from Jesus? Not just to faith in Jesus, but are you pushing away young believers? Are you hindering young believers from growing in their, in their faith, in their walk, in their relationship? You know, the teachings of Jesus I shared a couple of weeks ago, they don't leave you all the time with the warm fuzzies. They're in your face. Do we have attitudes and actions that prevent people from coming to Jesus? Does your life draw people to Jesus or push people away? Does your home life draw your children to, to Jesus? Parents, we can hinder our children from coming to Jesus by being busy with so many different activities, by trusting others to do our job. There's no substitute for parents taking responsibility to disciple their children, to train them in the ways of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can hinder them by being a hypocrite in the home. If we are different at church and then we, then we are at home, our children will see it and we can keep them from growing in Christ. In fact, it will cause them to, to be pushed away from Christ. I see it all the time. Thirdly, are we becoming like little children? Have you ever noticed that you always know what little children are excited about? You know what captures their hearts? They, they just blurt it out. They, they talk and think about it all the time. Are we, like, are we like childlike in our excitement about Jesus? Are we totally dependent on Jesus? Are we willingly following Jesus? That's what children do. They willingly follow Jesus. Babies will begin to mimic mom and dad. I started sharing uh, a little while ago in the message, and, and I don't know what happened. But last night I was playing with Stella, and she plays this with her mother. You know, raspberries, you know. <laughs> I have a granddaughter. I'm becoming childlike in my play, making all kinds of weird noises and sounds and facial expressions. And, but I had her last night, and, and I, I sang to her. I, was sing, I sang to her, Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells poppy so, little ones do them belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves Stella. Yes, Jesus loves Stella. Yes, Jesus loves Stella. For the Bible tells poppy so, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Amen. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Children of the Lord, 
and she would just break out and smile. And I went, <laughs> and she went, <laughs> I said, hon, get the video. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> She's like, In close and look at verse 16 of today's text. Is Stella in the nursery? Is Stella here? She's in the nursery. Can you go get Stella for me, please? <laughs> That's okay. Hopefully she's sleeping, right? <clears throat> this is so beautiful. Verse 16. Can you tell I love my granddaughter? Is that okay, church? Look at verse 16. And he took them up in his arms. And he took them up in his arms. One by one by one. He took them. I'm looking for something, for an object. Stella is much cuter. No, I'm not playing the guitar. I'm patting Stella's back. Jesus took them up in his arm. One by one. He touched them. He laid his hands on them. And he blessed them. He did this one by one. Bring your child. Bring your child. Bring your child. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, so precious. He touched her. He laid his hands. He blessed her. Oh, bring your son. Bring your son. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a handsome little guy. Oh. He embraced him. He laid his hands on him. And he blessed him. I mean, one by one by one by one. I mean, there were multitudes that followed Jesus. I don't know how long this went on. I don't know how many children, how many babies were brought to him. But he took time. If they were the only person on the planet, he took time. And he looked them into their eyes. He embraced him and brought him close to his breast. Wow. He's a personal savior, church. Not some distant God. Jesus embraces childlike faith. And desires to embrace you and desires to embrace me. When we come to him with childlike faith. Jesus invites you to come to him in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. Come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I could preach for several days on this passage. 
In Jesus' day, a farmer would yoke two oxen together to plow his field. The yoke was designed for one ox to be the lead ox and for one ox to be the follower. This is a powerful illustration, a powerful image, a powerful picture as Jesus is conveying kingdom truths. All of his parables, everything Jesus says, those red letters, it's, it's about the kingdom of God. Jesus invites you to have a relationship with him. When you look at this yoke and how they were yoked together, Jesus invites you to have a a personal relationship with him. Jesus desires to be the lead ox of your life. There's no one better. He desires you to follow his lead and learn from him about his kingdom, truth, found in his word. Would you join me standing? I know this isn't Stella, and Stella would be more impactful if I had her in my arms, Trish. But you get the illustration. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He invites you to come, and he he picks you up, and he takes you into his arm, and and he holds you close to his breast, and he lays his hands, and he blesses you. He wants you to know him. And maybe you're here today and you've never received this free gift of grace, the salvation that comes through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. I invite you as they lead us in this song, Cornerstone, to come and one of the pastors will pray with you, will talk with you, will bless you with the Bible. And maybe you're here today and you need a touch from Jesus. I invite you to come as they lead us in this closing song.